0: All right. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody. Uh, If you could turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to look at this passage today from 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. Put your eyes in your Bible. Let's read that together. And one, two, three, go. And you were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The Bible tells us that you were dead in your transgressions. In your your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were separated from God because in God is all life. And when you're separated from the God of all life, you're just practically, you're dead. You may even have a physical body that's working, a heart that's beating. But when you are separated from God, the source of all life, you're as good as dead. You're walking through life, you don't even, you feel dead. You might be living life, you might have a job, you might have a family. But without God in your life, you will always feel dead. Why? Because our, in our trespasses and sins, the Bible says, we were once dead. All right, And then it continues to say, while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, these are things that you did. You followed the patterns of the world, and you followed the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It ain't. Why can't I remember the DJ, this jockey, the shock jock? Why can't I remember his name? Howard Stern. It ain't Howard Stern. It's not the prince of the power of the air. All right. When the Bible says the prince of the power of the air, it's Satan. All right. And we're following the patterns of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. And it says, we used to live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body, whether that's overeating, whether that's sexual immorality, whether that is debauchery, carrying out the desires of our body, carrying out the desires of our mind, following our own reasoning, worshiping our own logic, rather than reading and submitting to what the Word of God says. And because of the way we lived, the Bible says here, look at verse three, by nature we were children of wrath. We were children of wrath. You know, when, and the Bible says, like the rest of mankind, you know, when you're born into this world, you know, there's an old saying that says, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. You know, black, white, red, yellow. We're all God's children. All right, and you know, for racial harmony, you know, it's a good thing to say. But theologically, it's not true. It's not true. And uh, if you're a Calvinist, you will make the distinction. Okay? Not everybody's a child of God and, and some of God's children just reject Christ and they end up going to hell. No. If you... Carefully study the scriptures, I believe that what the Bible teaches is God chooses those whom he saves. And those whom he chooses are his children, and none of his sheep are taken from his hand. There, none of them are lost, not, not even one. But when we come into this world before we meet Christ, we're not children of God yet. We're children of wrath. We are children deserving of the judgment and wrath of God. That's where we are in our sin, in our wickedness. If you watch the news, man, I've been um, downloading all the free podcasts from ABC News and CBS News with Katie Couric. And sometimes I watch uh, Anderson Cooper's 360. And, uh, you know, just watch the news. Man, there's just, you know, what's fun about reporting in the news? You know what's fun in reporting? It's not reporting the good things people are doing Or the right things that people are doing What makes news? It's the bad things people are doing So most of the time you, you watch the news It's usually reporting on the bad things And let me tell you something right now There's a lot of things to report I mean, I mean every week, man Aaron and I would just be watching in the car or something we shouldn't, Don't watch, don't watch uh, TV in the car, by the way Alright It's dangerous Don't do that Do that <laughs> But, uh, you know, we'd be hearing all of these reports of some crazy, wicked stuff going on. And, and, and the Word of God says, we are by nature children of wrath. But read with me. Verse 4, everybody. One, two, three, go. But God, but God. Hallelujah. It's the two best words in the whole scriptures. It's not Jesus wept, it's but God. You were headed this way, but God. You were children of wrath, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were not looking for Him, even when we were not wanting Him, even when we were just... Pushing him away. When we were dead in our trespasses. When we were living in the passions of our flesh. The Bible says, look at verse 5 and 6. He made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. You know, um, there's a popular analogy to compare Calvinism and Arminianism. And I'll just give this to you for food for thought. The Arminius, and this is a Calvinist Arminianism in a nutshell, is just talking about the doctrine of election. A doctrine of election. So how depraved is man? Can every man on the earth, when they hear the gospel, can they, do they have the ability to respond to God's call to salvation? Do they have that ability and they just choose not to exercise it and that's why God judges them? Or do they not have that ability? The Calvinists would say they do not have that ability. They are completely depraved. And the Arminians would say, no, everyone everyone does have that ability. And that's why God preaches the gospel to us. Because everyone has that chance. All you got to do is give them a chance. Give them that opportunity and they might receive Christ. Okay, so the Arminian analogy goes, the sinner is in a very desperate situation. He is like a person that is paralyzed. His whole entire body, face, everything. He's paralyzed. And a doctor takes the medicine of the gospel and holds it up into the lips of the sick person. And all the sick person can do is just quiver. (sighs) And then as the doctor offers the medicine, the person has the ability whether to drink it in or to reject it. If the person... Drinks it in, the medicine of the gospel does its work, brings that person from death to life. That person gets healed and gets alive, made in Christ. But the person must drink in the medicine of the gospel. What an amazing analogy for how desperate humanity, what kind of, what, how desperate of a condition humanity is in their sin. We are indeed in big trouble. God offers us. He sends his son and he offers us the gospel. And but we got to choose whether to reject it or to receive it. That's the analogy the Arminian uses. When I first heard that analogy, I was like, right on. Wow. What a powerful analogy. And then I heard the Calvinist analogy. The Calvinist says, no, that's not true at all. It's completely inaccurate. Not in the Bible. The analogy of the Calvinists toward a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins is it starts with an analogy where a person is actually dead. You're not a sick person on life support, paralyzed all over and just able to quiver your lips. No. The picture of what the Bible tells us that humanity is in, we're children of wrath. We are dead in our trespasses. The more accurate picture is a person that is six feet under. They're already dead. No doctor is going to offer no medicine to a dead person. They're six feet under. And on top of that means they're already buried in the ground. And the picture of grace that a Calvinist paints is Christ stands over the grave and says, Lazarus, Danny sucked. Hannah, Shuck, Eunice, come forth. And then the person gets raised from the dead. That is the picture of the Calvinist view of God's grace. And the desperate picture of man's depravity. You notice in the gospel there is an actual story like this, and his name was Lazarus. It was a guy who was dead, and he was dead for, for quite a few days. And, it, and his body was already rotting and starting to stink. And when Jesus arrived, they were like, Jesus, why'd you take so much time? If you were here, you wouldn't have died. I know how you heal people, but Lazarus is dead now. And Jesus looked at Martha and was like, hey, chill out. I am the resurrection. And she's like, yeah, I know. Yeah. But don't go in there, it stinks. Jesus went in there. And what he just said, Lazarus, come forth. And you know what Lazarus said? He didn't go, no, I don't want to. Now I'm going to remain dead. No. Lazarus didn't have any say in it. When Jesus said, rise, he rose again, got up, and he was alive. That's the doctrine of irresistible grace. It's that when God calls, it's effectual. So the call of God that goes out to the world, there's two, two forms of God's call. There's a call to preach the gospel. And when the call of the gospel goes out, not everybody responds to that call. That general call, when an evangelist preaches the gospel and says, come forth and believe in Jesus and, I don't know, and raise up your hand or come to the altar and you get yourself saved today, you get born again today, come forth. And that's the general call and not everybody responds to that. There's a general call, but there's also what is called the effectual call of God. And this call of God always achieves that which is purposed. Okay, this message is not about Calvinism, by the way. But let me let me just... I don't know why I got into that. Hallelujah. Lord, bless what was preached. Let's move on with this message. But God, rich in mercy, hallelujah. When we were dead, He raised us up with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. And He raised us up with Him. And, verse 6, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that every Christian has been made alive in Christ, they've been raised up, and they are seated with him in the heavenly places. Not only did God take us from death to life, from a child of wrath to a child of God, not only did he raise us up with Christ, but the Bible says that we are seated with Christ in heavenlies. Tell your neighbor that right now. I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Now, some of you may be wondering, what does this mean? (laughs) Seated with Christ in the heavenlies? It sounds so like new agey. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, my mentor, Brother Michael, when I was in college, every time that he would teach me on my identity in Christ, he would always mention, Brother Christian, you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Hallelujah. And I'd be like, Yeah does that mean? <laughs> you're more than a conqueror. I don't even know what more than a conqueror was, but at least I can understand more than a conqueror a little bit. But seated with Christ in the heavenlies? What does that mean? I'm right here seated on the chair when you're praying for me and prophesying for me. I'm not, I'm not seated with Christ. In the, I guess spiritually, I guess positionally. What does that mean? Seated with Christ in the heavenlies? And what is the implications to my Christian life? Well, let's look at that today. The term heavenly places is used in the ESV, heavenly places. This term is used five times in the Bible. And all five times it appears in the book of Ephesians. So if you look through the book of Ephesians and you look at how it is used, the Apostle Paul seems to simply be referring to the spirit realm when he says heavenly places. He's not talking about necessarily a particular place is using that term to refer to the spirit realm. For example, Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 3.10, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of, our, of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12, Very famous verse that all of you know. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if you look through the book of Ephesians, the term heavenly places is referring most simply to the spirit realm. And the spirit realm is invisible to our eyes, but let me tell you something, it's very real. And there are some people that can get visions of the spirit realm. For them, it's much more real. And if you look through the Bible, there are visions that the prophets and the biblical writers have in which they are able to see glimpses into the spirit realm. It's very real. It's very real. You got these angels. And these angels got wings. Not just two, but like four and six. Wings that are hovering and causing them to fly. Wings that are covering their feet. Wings that are tickling the other angel next to him. I don't know. They got wings. They got wheels. They got the face of an eagle and the face of a like a lion and the face of a bear. Like they got. There's the spirit realm. Very real. There's colors in the spirit realm. There's rainbows and unicorns. No, I'm playing. playing. (laughs) But there are horses and chariots of fire. In the spirit realm, when Elisha, or Elisha, or however you guys want to say it, I, I noticed last week that when I was kept saying Elisha, it sounds like the girl named Alicia, like Alicia Keys. <laughs> anyway, it's a Bible character named Elisha or Elisha, however, however you want to say it. But uh, Elisha was one time uh, with his servant, and Elisha was able to see him in the spirit realm. So he's he's like standing here in the city. And there's this huge multitude of this army massed together to come against Elisha. And they start coming down the valley to attack the city. There's multitudes of them. And a servant starts to get nervous, which is an understatement. But Elisha is mad chill. He's just like mad peaceful. And the servant's like, "What? what? Look, what? Hey, hey. And Elisha just simply prays, Lord, open his eyes to see that the hills are covered with horses and chariots of fire. And all of a sudden, the servant's eyes were opened and he saw the hill covered with warriors that the enemy forces did not know of. They were all defeated before the presence of the Lord. The Bible says the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. There ain't a battle the Lord has ever lost. He's a mighty man of war. Now, this term heavenly places is most likely just simply referring to the spirit realm. But when the Bible says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, it is not just referring to the spirit realm. It is referring to a specific position in the spirit realm. And Ephesians chapter 1, 19 to 21, reveals that to us. Look at a chapter earlier. Ephesians 1, verse 19. Look at that. I'm going to read that for us. From 19 to 21. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Hallelujah. That was a run-on sentence. (laughs) Let me break that down, right? The place where Christ is seated, chapter 1 talks about, the place where Christ is seated. If you don't know where Christ is seated, you ain't know where you are seated with him. So let's look at where Christ is seated. Where is he seated? Well, the Bible says he's seated above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named. And it says not only above, but it says far above. Hallelujah. It's a place of sovereignty where Jesus is seated. This is why Christ is called the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He is far above. All authority, rule, power, dominion. Amen? Amen? He's far above. Now the amazing thing is, one chapter later, in Ephesians two six, the scripture tells us that that seat, there's some extra space on that seat. Because we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You see, what, let me explain to you right now. What I'm trying to say is that this means that Christ is a king that is, he's a king not looking to do everything and control everything and need a people that are mindless like, like lemmings and robots just following him wherever he, he tells them to go. That's not the kind of king he is. Instead, Christ is a king that reigns through the building up of his people a people of wisdom, a people of knowledge, a people of love, through building them up and then needing them to exercise His authority on the earth. That's the kind of people He's looking for. That's the kind of people I look for too in a, in a church. You know, when a young Christian just is coming back to the Lord and just gets saved, you know what happens? They want to ask you and inquire about every little thing that they want to choose. Every little decision, they come and ask you. Uh, So, Pastor Christian, um, uh, what kind kind of fast should I do? I want to do a liquids-only fast, but, like, how about the soup uh, um, and the juice? What kind of juice? Am I allowed, like, vegetables and fruit to be mixed in? Or is it just fruit, and, and, like, it can, like... There'd be like, I don't know, like, I don't know, I can't think of examples. But they just start coming and they start asking me questions about every little detail of their life. But you know what? That's where you are. But man, I sure hope that's not where you stay. Because you will tire me out. Alright. God wants you to have his wisdom. Yeah, he wants you to inquire of him for decisions and stuff. Yeah, but you got to choose to know when it is you have the mind of Christ. And when it is, there's a mystery and you got to seek the Lord about it. That's the mind of a mature believer. And that's the kind of people God, Jesus is trying to raise up. It's a people that have delegated authority from the king. And that's why we're seated with him in the heavenlies. That's why we're seated with him in heavenly places. Revelations five ten in the King James version says that God has made us kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah! Amen. If you guys remember Friday Fire, the Liberia documentary about was it Sergeant? What was it called? General General, General Butt Naked. I might offend some religious folks in here, but yeah, there, there was a Liber- Liberia has just been through horrible atrocities there. People killing each other, civil war, um, all kinds of warlords rising up for power, killing each other. And one of those generals was called General But Naked because he would fight but naked. He would drink the blood of innocent children they had just killed, and then he would go out in battle but naked it kills just masses of people and uh, if you haven't watched that documentary it's quite, it's quite repulsive it's quite offensive, there's an F word, every other sentence um, but it's a powerful testimony so I'm not going to spoil the ending for you, go watch it it's at VBS VBS.TV it's a secular documentary company, but man they did an awesome job making this documentary anyway, um I'm going to have to spoil the ending a little bit because I've got to share my point. But <laughs> well, what happened was, you know, this guy is killing, you know, all these, you know, he's, he's uh, recruiting little children, 12, 13 years old, causing, you know, putting the gun in their hand telling them to shoot his friend. And then obviously they're hardened and then they become warriors, you know, and then they fight alongside of him. And, you know, all kinds of horrible things that you see going on in uh, civil war in Africa. And um, one time he was just uh, sitting and Jesus just appeared to him. Supernatural vision. And Jesus said, Why are you acting like a slave? Is that what he said? Yeah. Why are you acting like a slave? And then General Bunt Naked was like, Man, I ain't no slave. I'm a king. You see what I got? You see all the people that found me? I'm a king. And then the voice said, You're right in saying that you're a king, but you're acting like a slave. And that, that encounter is stuck with General Butt Naked. And I'm just going to spoil the whole ending for you anyway. (laughs) After this encounter, uh, I don't know, uh, he ended up coming to Christ. And and he had to leave his life of sin, which is a great understatement for him. And he became evangelist. What's his his real name? What? Evangelist Joshua. So now he goes around Liberia preaching to the very family members of whom they, he had killed, like their children or whatnot. And you know what? They receive him. They forgive him. They hug him. And then a secular documentary, guy is like, what the F is going on? <laughs> Just five years ago, he probably killed most of their children and now they're hugging and dancing in the, in the church. Um... But the, uh, what, what I wanted to point out was that how Jesus talked to this, this warlord, General Butt-Naked. Because General Butt-Naked said, I'm a king. And Jesus said, you're right. You're saying you're a king. Why, why would Jesus say that? You say, no, you're a sinner. I'm Jesus. Repent of your sins right now. Uh, Jesus said, no, you're right. You're, you're saying you're a king, but you're acting like a slave. Why? Because Jesus is building a kingdom. He's building a people of God. That are kings and priests unto Him, and that's why it's so important for us to realize that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. It's a powerful truth. Now, before we talk about, we talk more about how we are seated. Let's look at why Christ is seated. Why is Christ seated? Hebrews twelve two, in the NIV. This is what this was my baptism memory verse when I was in college. It's an awesome verse. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. I told you I memorized it. It's a good verse. Now, when you look at this passage, the Bible says that after Jesus went to the cross, He ascended to heaven. After He ascended to heaven, the Bible says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, why did Jesus sit down? I mean, we got to evangelize the world. We got to destroy the works of the devil. We got to disciple the nations. There's so much work to be done. Why would Jesus sit down? You know, and in our minds... Many of us associate sitting with laziness. <laughs> From the mouth of babes, the Lord ordained praise. Uh, most of us associate sitting with laziness. You know? And you know, when there's a lot of work to do, you know, you ever go to like, I used to go to Habitat for Humanity down in Camden, New Jersey, into the ghettos into Philadelphia's ghettos, and we would, you know, we'd be like working away in the ghettos, you know. Habitat Humanity is a NGO, a non-profit organization, not an NGO, a non-profit organization that helps build houses using manual labor and donations, and they build houses for the poor. And so we would go, and we'd be painting, and we'd be drilling, and we'd be like hammering, and we're just doing work. And it, we have to do it because it was part of our community service requirements at high school. Um, and there will always be those lazy bums. Everybody else is sweating and they're sitting down drinking a soda. And you know, when you got so much work to do and you see somebody sitting down, what do you want to do? You want to slap them? You want to rebuke them? You want to be like, man, get off your lazy bum. And pick something up, start picking up the weeds, man, start helping us. We see sitting down, we associate it with laziness. But let me tell you something, in the book of Ephesians, sitting down, sitting is not a term used to describe somebody who's lazy, but somebody who is Lord. But let me tell you something right now, Jesus, He is sitting down but you got to take note he's not sitting down on the floor or a couch jesus is sitting down on a throne why because he is the prince of peace he is the king of kings he will be crowned with many crowns hallelujah (laughs) jesus is sitting on a throne because he's king hallelujah why else is Jesus sitting? Why is Jesus sitting? Hebrews 8.1. Hebrews 8.1 says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Once again, Bible tells us Jesus is sitting. The Bible tells us we have a high priest that is sitting. But priests aren't supposed to sit. They're supposed to do work. They're supposed to run around. They're supposed to kill the animals. They're supposed to stand up and do some work. But why is Jesus, why is He this picture of a lazy priest? Why is He sitting down? When he's supposed to be the greatest high priest ever? Well, if you go a chapter earlier, it explains, right? Hebrews seven twenty-seven. Unlike other high priests, He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his sins and then for the sins of the people. He don't have to do that because he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. You know why Jesus is sitting as a high priest? It's because his work on the cross is complete. You don't have to strive and run around. Oh, I gotta do more work. I gotta save more people. Oh man, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. No, Jesus is sitting chill. He's like, it's finished. That's what he said on the cross. He said it's finished. He was referring to something. And he's referring to his priestly ministry. Jesus doesn't have to do something again and again and again. He just did it once for all on the cross and it's complete. He offered it for us. And we receive it. And he can take a seat. Because Jesus' work on the cross, there's nothing more you can add to it. And we need to understand that in our hearts. Instead of trying to strive after God and trying to please God. No, you come to God through the cross. Through the blood of Jesus Christ is what gives us the confidence to approach His throne of grace. Even if you messed up, even if you were in debauchery last night. Even if you were doing drugs and you were sexing it up this past week. It don't matter if you did any of those things. You want to approach God today. You need to approach God by the cross. You can't add a 21-day fast on top of that to try to approach Him and try to win His favor and approval and acceptance. No, you get it through the cross and that's it. You don't add nothing to it. You could tell Jesus you can, you can enjoy your seat because your work is finished, Lord, and I receive it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's where we got to be in, in, our, in the position of our hearts. You know, after a long day, when you're busy doing something, especially when you do manual labor, what do you do when you're finished with the day? You sit, exactly. You just sit. You plop down on whatever chair you can find. Or you sprawl yourself out on the floor. I don't know if Jesus is doing that, but (laughs) if he did, it's his prerogative because he went to the cross, you know. (laughs) But after a long day, what do we sit down? What Jesus is saying when he's sitting up there as a high priest, he's saying, there ain't nothing else left for me to do. As a high priest, it's finished. But let me go on into more revelations of why Christ is sitting. Hebrews 14, 14 tells us that Jesus is sitting on a cloud. Behold, he comes riding on the cloud, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's the sound of jubilee, for out of Zion. Yeah, yeah, I messed up the lyrics, sorry. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Hallelujah. Behold, he comes. He riding on a cloud. He's sitting on a cloud. Revelation 14, 14 says. And in the same vision, if you keep reading, he has a sickle in his hand. Now, sickles are kind of, they're kind of dangerous, right? But this is good. In this vision, he's doing something good. He, I mean, he, everything he does is good, but hallelujah, this is something good for us. In this vision... He's right on a cloud, he's got a sickle, and then an he swipes it across the earth. Why? It's to bring in the harvest. You know, in the last days, the, the amount of Christians, that are, the amount of people that are going to come to Christ in the last days, it's going to boggle your mind. It's going to boggle your mind, because there's going to be so much outpouring on the earth, and then the church is getting more and more victorious, Filled with the knowledge and the wisdom of God. But also the power and the miraculous healing powers of God. Man, in the last days, man. (sighs) it's going to be so many people coming on. And when Jesus swipes that sickle, he's sitting on the cloud. But let me tell you something a little bit more. Later on, Revelation 19, Jesus is sitting on a white horse. This time, it ain't good news for the earth. sitting on a white horse as a mighty warrior. That's the sound of his white horse. And he's coming and he's going to make war on his enemies. Like literally. He's going to wipe them out. But he's sitting on a white horse. And then a chapter later, Revelation 20, Jesus is sitting once again. This time he's sitting on a great white throne. And it's a throne of judgment. And the Bible says that the judge, the dead are judged great and small according to what they've done. So there's a book, a literal book, I'm, I'm thinking. I don't know. Maybe it was a computer database and uh, John didn't know how to describe it. So he called it a book. I don't know. Maybe it was a notebook. Maybe it was an Apple computer. I'm going to do a spotlight search on your name. What's your name? Brady Miller? Let me look you up. I don't know. But there's a book. And it's got everything that you've ever done, good and bad. And you get judged according to what you've done. And the good news is there's another book. But the other book is called the Book of Life. And whoever's name was written in the Book of Life, they got to experience true life for all of eternity a life that never ends, everlasting life, eternal life. For all those whose names were not written in the book of life, they were judged according to what they've done. And the Bible says they were thrown into the lake of fire. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Ain't nobody's going to bring a case before Jesus on judgment day that's going to make Jesus get up out of his seat. He's going to chill on his great white throne and he's going to judge every person that has ever walked on the face of the earth. Jesus is seated. You know, in Isaiah, Isaiah, prophet Isaiah got a vision and he saw the Lord seated On a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Jesus is seated as a king, as a high priest, as a harvester, as a warrior, and as the ultimate judge. Hallelujah. That's why he's seated. Jesus is seated as our king. And the wonderful news is we are seated with him. Meaning that all that authority that he has as king is delegated and expected of us to exercise that authority. Now, let me tell you something. Before Jesus could sit down on the throne, before he could sit as a king, as a high priest, as a harvester, as a warrior, as a judge, before he could take a single seat, you know what Jesus had to do? You know, before Jesus rode on a white horse, he rode on a scraggly little donkey and he didn't ride into victory he he rode into Jerusalem for judgment and now Jesus, he's seated on the great white throne in the book of Revelation but in the gospels he didn't sit in a seat of judgment he stood before the judgment of the high priest and Pilate And when Jesus stood before these guys, they shouted in his face, Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Tell us. And Jesus said this, Matthew twenty six sixty four. Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, In the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. And coming on the clouds of heaven. Hallelujah. Jesus knew exactly why he was going to the cross. He stood before the judgment seat of men. In order for him. To redeem you and me. To take us from death. Into life. It's not like you see the thing is. It's not like Jesus. He lost the throne or something like that. And he had to come to earth, go to the cross, and get the throne back. That's not what happened. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he lost his authority. He went to the cross to win back the authority that we had lost in the Garden of Eden. Because when God created the earth, he said, subdue the earth and take dominion over it. Be fruitful and multiply. He delegated authority to man to work the earth. And come on, man, there's some beautiful places on earth. You do like a search on honeymoon sites. Man, there's some beautiful places on earth. And there, there are good, righteous men who are not even maybe even Christians. And, and they're following Christian principles. They may not even know it. But they, you know, they, they have like these beautiful resorts. And they have beautiful architecture and beautiful scenery. The earth is beautiful. And we were, we we're supposed to own this throne. We're supposed to, with delegated authority from God, we're supposed to subdue and to have dominion on the earth. But what happened? We don't got to know that everything's out of control. Not everything, but a lot of things are out of control. Why? It's because we gave that authority over to Satan in the Garden of Eden the moment we sinned. And the thing is, God could have, in His sovereignty, just said, Hey, wait a minute, you're not supposed to take that away, Satan. Because from then on, after, uh, Satan, after Adam got tainted with sin, all of mankind became tainted with sin. So after Adam, everybody was giving away authority to Satan. Because let me tell you something right now. Whoever you obey, that person has authority over you. And when people obey the lusts of their flesh, and they obey the prince of the power of the air, they're giving authority over to Satan. So Satan has all this authority. That's why we have all this crazy human trafficking. In the sex trade around, around the North Korea and china border, you have all the North Korean women, refugees that come out of North Korea and they get all enslaved, become prostitutes, become wives for Chinese citizens. You go over to Cambodia, you have little children, eight, seven years old, being sold by their own parents into sexual slavery. What is going on? That's Satan having authority. Wherever that kind of darkness and wickedness abound, that's where Satan has a lot of authority in that nation. And God in his sovereignty could have just said, you know what, Satan, that's not right. I'm just giving that back. And hear here, Adam, here you go. Here you go. God could have done that, but God didn't do that. Because he's a righteous God. He didn't do that. Is that he just let things go. And then he let them go. And you know what? Back in the day, people used to live to a thousand years old. Maybe, maybe scientifically you don't believe it, but look, it's in the Bible. And here's evidence of why I believe they truly live to a thousand years old. You know why? Because the earth got so wicked that God destroyed the earth with a flood. Now, when a person lives till 60, 70 years old, they have an ability for wickedness that kind of nurtures and grows. Their heart gets hardened and they do some evil stuff. But imagine if an evil person was able to live not just till 70, but till 700, 800, 900. Imagine the kind of wickedness that will be going on. That's the kind of wickedness God saw on the earth. Brought a flood, started all over. And God let man continue his way. And then what he did was he sent his son to come as a man. Because a man lost it. A man's got to go get it back. So God sent his son as a man. Went to the cross. Defeated death. To bring back the keys of authority. For dominion on the earth. And you see, what the Bible is telling us is, you are seated with Christ. In the heavenly places. Meaning that what Christ took back. The keys. The authority. Jesus said at the Great Commission. After his resurrection. He said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How was it given to Him? Because he went to the cross. He got the authority. He had authority of heaven. Now he has the authority of earth. And then what did he do with that authority? He didn't say. I'm going to live. Till for 2,000 years and I'm just going to make the earth a, heaven, you know, a paradise. No, he didn't do that. Jesus said, I got all that authority. And here, go. You go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything I've commanded of you. See, Christ is seated far above all rulers, dominion, authority. And then the Bible is trying to tell us that in Christ, we're seated in that place. Now, let's check this out. I'm going to close with this. John Eckhart, in his book, Prayers Around Demons, he says, Believers must know and operate in authority. Jesus gave his disciples power and authority over all devils, Matthew 10.1. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all principality and power. Believers can use this authority through prayer and confession. And we have authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. And Jesus promised that nothing by any means will harm us. But many believers suffer unnecessarily because they fail to exercise their authority. If Satan's been throwing you around, pushing you around, let me tell you something right now. You need to disallow that. That's not what you're destined for. God has sent His Son to give you authority and to exercise that authority so that you can have dominion, you can be victorious, so that you can be more than a conqueror on the earth. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand. This is a prophecy about the Christ. Jesus quoted this about himself. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The word until, it gives us a clue of what age we're living in. We are living in the until age. Until God makes all of Christ's enemies a footstool for his feet. Until Christ has victory over all of his enemies. Jesus and God the Father said, sit down until that happens. You notice that Jesus doesn't incarnate every 30 years, come down to the earth, teach a little bit, and then say, remember, go and make disciples. And go floating, ascending up to heaven, and then 30 years later, when we forget, he comes back, heals people, teaches them, and then says, go and make disciples again. And he goes, do you notice Jesus doesn't do that? Why? as he's sitting the father said you sit until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet and the amazing revelation is in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 and he put all things under christ's feet gave him as head over all things to the church ho 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 He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, look, the father is saying to his son, look, you got to sit here until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And guess what? Guess who his body is? We, the church, we are the body of Christ. Meaning if his enemies are supposed to be put under Christ's feet, and we are His body. That means that we are supposed to be victorious over the enemy. Amen. While we are on this earth, the kingdom come, but the kingdom is also here. Oh, when and when Jesus comes riding on the white horse, it's like it's like game over. It's like a uh, time's up. When he coming on the cloud, you know, uh, hey, great harvest is coming. But look, check this out. In the meantime, we are to exercise the dominion. We are to see and realize that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We got that authority. We need to rise up into it. Stop acting like slaves. We need to act like sons, brothers and sisters. And sons have an inheritance. Sons of the king have authority. They have power. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but this is what Dr. Cindy Trim said. If we are the body... And the enemies are supposed to be under Christ's feet. Then if we are the body. And the enemy is supposed to be. Down here. A lot of times Christians are fighting. Like this. They're fighting from a position. Of having no authority. A position of fear. A position of. Oh devil you're so big. You've got so many things going on on the earth. How can I Ever. 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 Be able to go in there and shine Christ's light and stop put an end to human trafficking, put an end to all of the uh, uh, poverty. How can I how can I go in there and bring the gospel? We got it all wrong. We're looking, we're trying to fight like this, and nobody's got feet on their head. That's what Doctor Cindy Trim said. Last time I checked, the feet are on down here. We need to fight like this with authority, because Jesus said, "I will give you authority to trample, trample, not punch him in the face, trample." Use your feet. Use your authority, brothers and sisters. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So take some authority. Exercise that authority. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Let us pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much, Lord. That you went to the cross So that you can win back the keys The authority Of earth And God we just thank you and praise you That God you give it to your people Yes we make our weaknesses We have our weaknesses We make our mistakes And yet you give us these keys Because you believe in us Because you put your spirit in us. And the Old Testament prophecies prophesy that you will put your spirit in us and cause us to walk in your ways. Lord, we pray, fill us with more of your spirit. That we may be led by your spirit. We may be empowered by your spirit. And may we use the anointing and the authority that you give us to begin to possess the gate of our enemies. To begin to take back dominion on the earth. Lord, where where the church has allowed things to go on. Heaven has allowed it to go on. But God, Lord, you said that you give us the keys to bind and to loose. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And I pray that in this time, Lord, you would equip your people to be a people of kingdom authority. A people of know that they are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a king that has completed the work of atonement. And there's nothing else that we can add to that work. So we simply respond with our lives. To exercise that authority that you want back for us. We just thank you, God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to repeat after me. I am sitting in heavenly places. I am in heavenly places. Far above our principality. Far above our power. power. All might and dominion. I take, my in the heavens, I take my position in the heavens and I bind the principalities and powers, principalities and powers. That, operate that operate against my life. I thank you I that God. I'm seated with Christ, I'm seated with Christ. In, the in the heavenly places. Hallelujah. Let's shout and clap. Praise be to our God.